0: Booker Tov. good morning everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. It is Parashah Niso, the Niso, Slika Naso, the third reading of the week. And we are looking to have a wonderful week. Uh, it's already the third day, can you believe it? And we're going to be reading this parashah and studying it and growing together. Welcome everybody. Glad to have everybody who is with us this morning from across the Fruited Plain. It looks like we even have uh, Jamaica uh, represented this morning, so we have some Caribbean love going on. That's wonderful. Anybody from Ireland, I haven't seen anybody from Ireland click on yet. want to welcome our our folks in uh, the frozen uh, wasteland of Antarctica. We're glad you're here. It's always winter, it's always frozen, so let it go. That's wonderful. Hope everybody's being safe and being peaceful. Uh, Lots of, um, you know, unrest in our nation right now, but it's Bezrat Hashem will get better and life will be good. Baruch Hashem. Want to be optimistic. Be optimistic and happy people. It's always good to be optimistic and uh, glass half full kind of a person. I try very hard to do that, it's not always. It's not like every day you wake up and you feel like Tigger, but, um, but you know, you try to work on that. That's always good. We need that in our world because there's lots of uh, lots of uh, negativity out there, and especially among believers. You know, I I know that we see things that um, it just seems crazy. We've got all this mayhem. We have the the COVID thing, which uh, turned out to be not all that. Um, then we've got, you know, uh, and, a lot of, and by the way, a lot of people, as I said, they were predicting the end of the world. Messiah is going to come as soon as COVID is over. Well, COVID is over, and there's no Messiah. Just like I said. Um, but it, you know, and and some people on both sides, whether it's uh, religious or non-religious, were kind of hoping that COVID would be like the the end of the world. Um, and anyway, the point being is that very often with when it comes to people who are followers of the Mashiach um, is that uh, many people tend to be kind of like negative. Like if we see these things unfold and we automatically think this is it. This is going to be the end of all life on the planet. Um, it's going to be Road Warrior, um, you know, uh, Temple of Doom. What was the next Oh. Uh, what was the Road Road Warrior, and then what was the next one, Mad Max, Mad Max, and the Thunderdome, that's the one I was looking for, not the Temple of Doom, that was, Temple of Doom was <laughs> Indiana Jones, although it could be Temple of Doom, right, anyway, don't have a Temple of Doom mentality, yeah, Mad Max, that's the war. Mad Max, Road Warrior, and then it was Beyond Thunderdome, that's what it was, Beyond Thunderdome, man, it's been forever, it's like a thousand years ago that I saw those those movies, but we have a tendency that when we see this kind of stuff happen we automatically think uh the absolute worst and maybe who knows you know a- ain't on the vado. Hashem is going to do everything mashiach going to come when mashiach comes i just want to encourage everybody to be positive to be positive to to be uh uplifting you know, those kinds of things, that it's not always doom and gloom all the time. What's happening right now is terrible. It's thuggery. It's just a bunch of people that are trying to create mayhem. It's all it is. It has nothing to do, actually, with anything other than that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be resolved one way or the other. Maybe you have to call out, maybe the president's going to have to call out the Marines and deal with it. But... I'm just telling you that a Marine Corps 308 round travels a lot faster than a brick. So if you're out there throwing bricks, you might want to think about it because I can just guarantee you, you're not going to win that fight. Um, So anyway, but I digress, right? I digress. Hopefully everything is gonna work out just fine. I was talking to a friend of mine next door to me, who's a Fort Worth police officer, my next door neighbor. It was kind of funny yesterday because I was talking to him, being a slightly, ever so, ever so slightly concerned about the synagogue. We're not really in an in a area that's prone to have any type of trouble, but you never know. You know, anything could happen. So I was telling him, I said, I'm a little concerned. Um, I thought maybe at one time I might call a couple of guys and we might, you know, have a have a, a Torah study at the synagogue, just so that we could kind of keep watching the building because I was talking to him about the fact that I don't want anybody breaking out our windows. And all of a sudden it occurred to me <laughs> that all of our windows now are ballistic glass. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure how you would break them out. It'd be very very challenging. <laughs> I, I, if you hit it with a if you hit it with a sledgehammer, I don't think that it would scratch it. Honestly, I mean it. Nobody should try that. I'm just saying. Anyway, this was kind of funny. I was talking to him last night and all of a sudden I was like, "Oh yeah, never mind." All right, so on to the PowerShot reading. I love being with everybody, don't you? It's more than just a Torah study. It's a time to get together and have fun, and to talk, and to uh, say hi to everybody, and to uh, encourage each other. Sometimes we get on the Yali day, and people are like, just get to the reading, just get to the reading. Uh, you know what, this, this, is not, uh, this is more than that. But now I'm going to get to the reading. All right, chapter 4, No, no, I'm sorry, chapter 5 of the book of Numbers... Page 751, page 751, chapter 5, Capitulo 5 for our Sephardic Jews out there, verso 1, la palabra de Dios dice esto, I spoke to Moshe saying, command the children of Israel that they shall expel from the camp Erwan who has Zarat, Erwin who has a Zav emission and Erwin contaminated by a human corpse. Um this represents, by the way, as there's an insight that talks about this, that the three levels of contamination. The highest level of contamination was a human corpse. That's the highest level. And Acts chapter 10 is interesting because in a large, to a large extent, it deals with a, an attitude <coughs> uh, back in, in antiquity that the Judaism had that non-Jews were uh, basically like living corpses. Like they were so, they were so, um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? They were so, so idolatrous that they were considered to be human corpses. Well, since a human corpse is so defiling, naturally it prevented Jews from wanting to be anywhere near a non-Jew. This is why the centurion said to the Messiah, when the Messiah was going to come to his house and heal his servant, the centurion said, don't come to my house. I'm not a man worthy. You should go to my house. It wasn't just that the centurion was being humble, or as they say in Jamaica, humble, but it was more that he understood the halakha or at least the halakhic attitude at the time that look I'm a I'm a non-Jew you are a holy man you can't come to my house lest you receive impurity because I'm like a human corpse um, for whatever reason uh the centurion was what they called a god-fearer back in those days he he had he was not he had not converted for for who knows why probably for political reasons probably because he didn't want to lose his rank who knows uh, incidentally um, I've there's a one I have a, a book on my shelf over there uh, written in the in the mid 20th century and it gives a an idea of what the God fearers were and And as it turns out they were that was kind of a unique designation at a unique period in time in the first century um, given to people who respected Judaism, respected the God of Israel, uh, were, but weren't converts. Uh, kind of like Christian Zionists today. You know, they're they're not antithetical to Israel. They kind of support Israel. They donate money maybe to Israel, just like the God-fearers did back then. Um, but they didn't embrace Judaism 100%. It was unique. The historians point out that never before, never again, do we have God-fearers. And I point that out because a lot of times in messianic circles, that people in trying to make Paul's letters work, they have tried to create that as a religious group and, and pretend as if it was always a religious group, and of course it wasn't. But this is what the centurion knew, and of course, little did he know that the Mashiach, the man to whom he was speaking, was actually the living Torah. And you can't defile the living Torah. It's like a living spring. You this is why this is what makes our mikveh so wonderful, so 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 thankful to Hashem, what he's done with our mikvah. Because our mikveh, unbeknownst to us, was built on top of a natural spring. And Therefore, the water that's in the mikvah is predominantly, the, the water that fills the lower bore is, is predominantly spring water, which means you can't defile it. So that's wonderful. So this is the idea. So the idea in Acts chapter 10 is Hashem correcting that, that mindset and saying, look, don't call something clean or unclean that I've called clean. In other words, don't call a Gentile, a a human corpse why was because god accepts gentiles you know for who they are and he wants to have messianic gentiles and everything no 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 but if you consider them human corpses then that means you'll never go visit them you'll never go talk to them you'll never sit down with them you'll never have a conversation in other words why would you preach the gospel to a corpse i mean a corpse is dead right so that was the idea. Why, why share the gospel? Why share? And by the way, the gospel is not a New Testament thing. The gospel is the covenant. The gospel is the Torah. The gospel is, well, let me put it this way. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses all preached the gospel. The gospel has been around since Abraham at least has been around. Actually, in actuality, if you read the writings of... Uh, Josephus and the book of Yasher and other sources, you find that the gospel has been been has been preached since since Methuselah, since Enoch, since Shem and Eber. Since Noah for that matter. Noah preached the gospel. So the gospel isn't something new. There's nothing new in the New Testament. But why would you go and preach the gospel to a corpse? I mean after all the corpse is dead. So the idea was don't even bother with the Gentiles, they're walking dead. You thought that was a new show on Netflix, but it turns out that that show's been playing since the first century. So, Hashem is correcting that in Acts chapter 10, and he's saying, look, no, don't consider them that. Why? Because I want you to go preach the gospel to them just like Abraham preached to them. And make these corpses come to life, as it were. Verse 3, male and female alike shall you expel to the outside of the camp, shall you expel them, so that they should not contaminate their camps among which I dwell. The children of Israel did so. They expelled them to the outside of the camp, as Adonai had spoken to Moshe, so did the children of Israel do. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, a man or woman who commits any of man's sins by committing treachery towards Adonai, and that person shall become guilty. They shall confess their sins that they committed. He shall make restitution for his guilt in its principal amounts and add its fifth to it, and give it to the one to whom he is indebted. If the man has no kinsman to whom the debt can be returned... The return debt is for Adonai, for the Kohen, aside from the ram of atonement, with which he shall provide him atonement. And every portion from any of the holies of the children of Israel bring to the Kohen shall be his. A man's holy shall be his, and what a man gives to the Kohen shall be his. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Any man whose wife shall go astray and commit treachery against him, and a man "...could have lain with her carnally, but it was hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she became secluded, and, and have become defiled. But there was no witness against her, and she had not been forced. And a spirit of jealousy had passed over him, and he had warned his wife, and she had become defiled. Or a spirit of jealousy had passed over him, and he had warned his wife, and she had not become, defi- she had not become defiled. The man shall bring his wife to the Kohen." He shall, uh, he shall bring her offering for her, a tenth ephah of, of barley flour. He shall not pour oil over it and shall not put frankincense upon it. For it is a meal offering of jealousy, a meal offering of remembrance, a reminder uh, of iniquity, iniquity. So it says, um, this is of course talking about the sota. There's a whole tractate about this, um, the sota tractate. And it gives a lot of the due process. This is a a man who um, uh, believes that his wife has committed adultery. Um, there's Notice it says in here that he has warned her. Now, as, as you read, this is why the oral Torah is so important. I've talked at length about um, this in, in times past. But just to point out a couple of things, uh, there's a lot of due process here. Uh, the, the wife, uh, for one thing, has to have been warned about being with a specific man. So the husband is not allowed, in other words, to say, you know what, you were secluded with uh, Frank over there, and I'm going to drag you to the temple, and I'm going to make you go through this humiliating process. Now, um that's not how it works. He would have had to have said to her, in front of witnesses, I don't want you to be secluded, that means by yourself, with Frank. See Frank over there? Frank. Witnesses, y'all see Frank? Frank. Not allowed to be with Frank, okay? And, uh, no, nothing against Frank out there. If you're Frank and you're watching, I'm, frankly, I'm not saying anything bad. So anyway, it has to be a specific thing. And then if she then f- finds herself secluded with Frank, not by force, then he has reason to uh, take her through this process. Now, some people say, okay, well, she goes there, she's innocent, but yet it is pretty humiliating. So it's kind of it's bad that she had to go through this humiliating process, and it turns out she's innocent, if she was innocent. Well, one of the reasons for that is that remember that she was told not to be alone with Frank. And yet, she was. And so part of the humiliation, even if she's innocent, she she was alone with Frank and nothing happened, she's still guilty of violating the charge of her husband in front of witnesses not to do that. So you see, the humiliation is a little bit of a punishment for that, even though it turns out, of course, that she might have been innocent. Um, There's a lot more to that as far as due process, but we're not going to get into all that. We'll just continue reading here. It says, the Kohen shall bring her near and have her stand before Adonai. So again, in other words here, uh, the ultimate judge is Hashem. That's why she's standing before Hashem. It says, the Kohen shall take sacred water... In an earthenware vessel, and the Kohen shall take from the earth that is on the floor of the tabernacle, and put it in the water. Why? Why earth from the floor of the tabernacle? And if, if my memory serves me correctly, that means they would literally pull up one of the tiled stones from the from the uh, temple floor, and pick dirt, take dirt from beneath that stone, and put it into this mixture. Why? Because the temple is the area, uh, specifically the altar area, where man was created. So that dirt that's there was literally the dirt, if you will, um, to, to, to make it sound more elegant, the dust, from which God made man. So this is going back to the woman is taken from man, which means when she's with her husband, she's not allowed to be with any other man. If she has intercourse with any other man, that is considered adultery because she's taken from her husband. So she's going back to the original dust from which she came, so to speak. So it says, the Kohen shall have the woman stand before Hashem and uncover the woman's head. This is the principal place whereby the, uh, is understood that married women covered their head. It is rather difficult to uncover a woman's head if it's not covered. And because it's Torah law, it says right here, uncover her, the woman's head, the presumption is that she has a head covering on. So the Torah, in other words, takes it for granted that um, she's wearing a head covering because she's married. So it says, uh, and upon her palms... He shall put the meal offering of remembrance, it's a meal offering of jealousy, and in the hand of the Kohen shall be the bitter waters that cause a curse. It says, the Kohen, uh, the Kohen shall adjure her and say to the woman, if a man has not lain with you and you have not strayed in defilement with someone other than your husband, then be proven innocent by these bitter waters that cause uh, the curse. But if you have strayed with someone other than your husband, and if you have become defiled, and a man other than your husband has lain with you, and it says, The Cohen shall adjure the woman with the oath of the curse, and the Cohen shall say to the woman, May Adonai render you as a curse and as an oath amid your people, when Hashem causes your thigh to collapse and your stomach um, to distend. Now, I should say, by the way, this is, incidentally, um, she doesn't have to uh, take... The bitter waters, unless she, she's not required uh, to drink. She's not, uh, she's not, uh, isn't forced uh, to drink the water, so to speak. Um, one, just a couple more verses here. It says, But if you have strayed with, oh, I'm sorry, uh, je verse 22. The waters that cause curse shall enter your innards to cause stomach to distend and thigh to collapse, and the woman shall respond, Amen ve Amen. I'm going to stop there because I inadvertently have read into the fourth Aliyah. I did not realize I was doing that until just now. So um, we'll continue this tomorrow um, as far as the reading goes with respect to the fourth Aliyah. Let's share an insight. Um and go back here to the idea of, let's see what I want to go with first. Uh, oh, let's start here with the idea of confession. This is an important concept with respect um, to uh, forgiveness of sins. If you've never read Tractate Sota with respect to the Sota, this process, it's very interesting. It's very intriguing. I encourage you to peruse it. If you don't have the um, Talmud, you can access it on sefaria, uh, dot, is it org or .com, I forget. Sepharia. Um, anyway, you can access it there, I'm sure. Uh, but it's a very interesting read to see the due process uh, and all of that. Confession of Sins. Due process, by the way, I, I don't mean to chase a rabbit here, but I guess I'm going to. Due process is important, everybody. Um, you know, and 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 I think that we need more education in our country as to what due process is and why it's important. Um, the situation uh, with the police officer who had his knee on the on the neck of Mister. Floyd, it seems as if uh, he caused uh, his death. Uh, that seems to be the case. Um, it's terrible, no matter if, no matter what. Uh, he, uh, why he was doing that was stupid, and everybody agrees. Everybody agrees. I don't know anybody who doesn't agree with that. Um, but just using that as an example, that's just one of many examples. There's many things we have happen where we see somebody or we see a situation in the news, and we think, "Yep, man, that guy's he de- they definitely did it." Okay. Um, And nine times out of ten, it's right. They definitely did do it. And at the same time, I think we all need to take a breath and realize that um, due process is a thing. And it's important. It's constitutional. And if you or I, God forbid, were ever uh, accused of a crime, then we need to be allowed. We would want that due process, right? We would want to be arraigned, we would want to have the charges presented to us. We, we would need to have the opportunity to have a, a lawyer present to talk about if we are guilty or not guilty. We need to have our day in court. We need to hear from our accusers. We need to be able to present our evidence, our defense, all those things. And we need to be, and by the way, I, I know this is going to come as a shock to many. No matter what you think, I don't care what you think that you saw in a videotape or what you heard on the internet or what your best friend told you who was there, ladies and gentlemen, in los Estados Unidos, everyone is presumed innocent until proven guilty. And there's a reason for this. It's one of the things that caused us to fight against the British to win our independence. And when we get to the point in our country where you are presumed guilty until proven innocent, that, ladies and gentlemen, is peligroso. For the Ashkenazi Jews out there, dangerous. Very dangerous. And I'm not making excuses for anybody, and I'm not saying anything that, you know, uh, other than, we need to remember that. Because when we start getting to the point where you're guilty... Until we prove unison, that's where mob mentality comes into play, and that's where um, lynching comes into play. It's not good. It's not good. You say, well, well, obviously, have you seen the tape? I've seen the tape. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty damning. And we need due process. This is what... One of the things that you glean, one of the things I glean from oral Torah is 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 the amount of due process that went into t- uh, people that were found guilty, or excuse me, people that were that were brought to the court on some charge. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say found guilty, but they are brought to the charge. Char- just like the Sota we were just talking about. Anyway, I don't mean to get up on a soap soapbox and. Um, but I think it's important. I think it's really, really important. We need to, we need to be very careful. We need to allow people um, that process. And again, you know, I'm I work as a volunteer chaplain in the criminal justice system, so I get it. You know, I get it where it's like, yeah, you're probably guilty, and you know what? You need an attorney. You need to have your day in court. You need to go before the judge. All that process needs to play out and I'm gonna presume that you're innocent until I know for sure that you're guilty. That's the way it's supposed to work. Is it a perfect system? No, but we need to we need to protect it. Alright, enough about that. Confession. It says here Here begins the laws concerning the one who transgressed against Adonai and who has admitted his wrong. After acknowledging in his heart that he has sinned, the person must next confess his wrong aloud. Rambam uses this verse as his reference in stating, The law for every transgression mentioned in the Torah, whether of positive or negative commandment, committed intentionally or inadvertently, the person wanting to repent must confess before Adonai. The sages bring down that confession is critical. This is probably where the Catholic priests in that religion got the idea of confession. Except that you're not supposed to necessarily confess to a priest. Uh, You're supposed to confess to God. Now having said that, if you have somebody you can trust, if you have a friend, uh, if you have a rabbi or something like that, you can trust. It's not going to go all over town and blab about your issues or, or condemn you or whatever. If you feel comfortable and you can trust somebody, then you can go before them and you can confess to them whatever it is that you're struggling with or, or those kind of things. And a lot of times that's, that can provide a lot of mental and emotional health and uh, what have you, but, but, but it's not necessary. Is my point. What's necessary is confessing, confession before Hashem, Hashem, which is why we had the Vidui during the uh, during the uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services. The Vidui is the confession, and this is why we confess out loud together all of these sins. By the way, there's lots of sins during the Vidui that we confess, and Obviously, not all of them apply to every one, you know. So we're going through the list, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm confessing out loud, but I don't think I'm really guilty of that particular thing. Well, you may or may not be, but this is where community comes in. The person to your right or the person to your left who's confessing out loud may be guilty of that. And so by you confessing with them... you are showing your support and solidarity with them so as not to embarrass them, but to give them a chance to confess before Hashem. Having said that, I like to just think that I'm guilty of all of it. When I'm going through that list, I don't really think about, well, I'm I'm guilty of that one, I'm not guilty. As far as I'm concerned, I'm guilty of every single one of them. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, because who am I? But that's not the here nor there. One last thing it says here. It is not surprising that the duty of confession is introduced by the Torah with a reference to the act of stealing, for indeed every sin is a theft, either against men or against Adonai. End of our Aliyah today. We have a lot more to share. I have a lot of resources or uh, insights here, rather. I'm just out of time. So we're going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to finish up the fourth reading, which, I, like I said, I kind of got into it today without realizing it. Um, and then tomorrow we will continue these thoughts. I have a lot more insights I want to share, but we'll just have to wait. Until then, have a great and amazing day. We'll look forward to seeing everybody out there. Be safe. Uh, don't be out there looting. If you loot um, and you're in Lapid, then you become a Hebrew looter, and that would not be good. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye.